Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 323. I'm Kevin Oakley and with me today is Beth Russell and Jesse Suggs. Hello. Jesse, did you beat Jen in an arm wrestling competition? No, you know, we didn't have one, but I think I would if we did. <laughs> I think you would too. I think I would. I, I know you'd beat me. That's not unheard of, by the way. Um, I think you should have an arm wrestling competition with her at the Builder Show somewhere. Uh, I think it was at PCBC, the Lena Money, Garmin, and I started that whole trend. Did you know about this trend, Beth? I don't remember the arm wrestling, but I, is it the, you remember? When no, you that's the trend. That? We just yeah, arm okay. wrestle for fun. <laughs> okay. She's like, I think I could take you. And I beat her. And then we went back the next year and I beat her again. And then she dropped it. She never brought it up again. It's weird. Oh, ouch. Uh-oh, Elena. I'm going to call myself But she's out. working out now. She's posting about all of her workouts. So I'm yeah, not, I'm not going to bring it up again. Yeah. But I'm I can scared. beat anybody in a thumb wrestling competition. I'm going to help myself. Thumbs? I have the world's longest thumb. Like it's like the weirdest thing. So <laughs> I might not win arm wrestling, but. We call that a genetic mutation. Just. Yeah, I got a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, story time. Uh, Jesse, we always, we always let our online sales compadres start with story time. What do you got? Well, my story time, it's funny that you actually brought up Elena because mine is about my visit with their team last week. Mm. Um, so, you know, today is my work anniversary here at Do You Convert? Um, yeah. I'm going into my fourth year and, you know, after having worked with a bunch of builders, it's fun to see in person just how different, you know, they are or how they separate themselves from others. And it was just such a pleasure um, going to the Garmin office. They're in their brand new space. It is like such a vibe in there, not just the way that they design stuff, but the atmosphere and the attitude. And so Jen and I got to go up there. We did an arm wrestle, but we got to go up there and, and see their team and the way that they operate is just so amazing. The way that their leadership is engaged kind of like overflows into everything else. So our meeting was great. Their sales team was there early. Everybody who was ready, you know, it was just such an awesome visit. But uh, aside from that, we went to, um, one of my girlfriends lives in Raleigh and I stopped to get coffee with her on the way. And I get in there and guess who's in there? Jen. And I'm like, what are you doing here? She was like, I'm waiting on Raina. So she was waiting on Raina with MI to get some coffee before we met up. And I have to tell you a story about this. Like, I don't know if you guys like believe in like divine timing or something, but Heck it was yeah. the craziest thing. We all sat together and Jen's telling us about her daughter and she's applying to all these vet schools and it's hard to get into vet school. Did y'all know that? Yeah. I didn't yes. know that. But she's like, been telling me for like months. That's the only reason yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like, you know, she's hearing back from some and she hasn't heard from others and she has an interview with this one. And the girl I was meeting up with was like, oh, I know like the main person that helps with hiring and recruiting for vet schools. And so we connected them. And so everything just started off great. And then we got to do our training and the sales team was awesome. Uh, we may or may not have got locked into their office at the end of the day. Um, but overall, <laughs> it was in, just such amazing in stuff. their office. You yeah. couldn't get out. Yeah. Yeah, they all went out a side door and we were waiting at the front door and we were like, what is happening here? That's how much everyone office loves to get locked into though. The do you convert team is they just won't let us leave. They want to keep us there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but all in all, my story time is really about just the engaged leadership that they have there, the team that they have, because I've also seen some really crazy stuff over the last mm. couple of months. Um, you know, just to name a few new contracts for their online sales specialists, requiring them to work until 9 p.m., uh, making them sign that they will talk about lender things, taxes, all of those things. It's just been crazy. 90% missed call rates across the board. Um, so it's just been like the wild, wild west with the increase in leads around here. Love it. Beth, what do you got? Um, 
Mine is just a story of pulling inspiration from unexpected places. So Carl and I were on a call discussing a shared builder partner and some creative work that she was doing for them. And she had this really cool vision of bringing their colors to life because their colors are really important to them and they each represent something for this particular company. And so we were going through different ideas and different ways that we can really showcase these colors. And I had this aha moment and I was like, I'll be right back. And I ran down to my son's room to his bookshelf and I pulled up this book. Let me grab it. It's the color monster Mm. and it's a pop-up book. It's probably the coolest pop-up book I've ever seen in my entire life, but I'm going to challenge that, but I'll let you continue. Well, for like, like it's simple, but. Awesome. Okay. Well, I don't think it counts Amazing. as a pop-up book. I'll just say it. I don't know the name of it, but there's some, there's some book that's Christmas related about the postman. Have you seen this Christmas book? Like um, every page has like a game you play or something you build or a pop-up or like craziness. That's pretty cool though. That yeah. is cool. This one's pretty cool. And I love it because each color like represents. D. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Each color represents, you know, an emotion and it's about helping kids recognize the emotions and and categorizing them so that they better understand how they're feeling. But it doesn't, it was, it's not about bottling them up and just suppressing them. Actually you are. So it does bottle That's them the up. the book I was read as a kid. I'm just saying it um, does actually bottle them up, but in a way, in a healthy way, <laughs> in like a sorting kind of way. That's funny. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that this book helped us get some inspiration. I'm like, how to bring colors to life and tell a story around colors. And so I think that's my reminder to marketers who are struggling with being creative is like, look at the world around you and look at the things that you interact with every single day because inspiration can strike anywhere. And it could be something as simple as a children's book. Yeah. I, I'm just fascinated with using learning a new language as an analogy, just because it's something that I'm watching my wife do all the time, trying to learn Spanish and one of the things that her tutor, her current tutor talks a lot about is like, you've got to turn on your Spanish brain. You can't just use your English brain and try to translate it and speak Spanish. You've got to turn on your Spanish brain. And in essence, what you're saying is turn on your builder brain and, and, and don't compartmentalize your life to the point where you can't let those things interact and take inspiration from whatever it is that you're looking at. Or yeah, doing. absolutely. I think so many times and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. We get stuck in thinking how our industry does something and how it's so incredibly different from other industries, but we don't pull enough inspiration from other industries. And I think a, a perfect example of that is your, your story about buying a backpack off Amazon and the amount of detail associated with that listing and how we're not doing that on our side. And it's one of the biggest, most personal purchases in our life. Yeah. Someone, I don't remember who this week made the statement that they, you know, they have a team, but they still struggle to get, oh, I remember now who I'm not going to say your name. Don't worry. But they, there's like three of them on the call. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, we just really realized that even though it's hard to go out and take pictures of our inventory homes, there's nothing else that we could do as a team that would more likely help our homes be sold than going to take those pictures of the inventory. Right. And it sounds if you're not if you've not been with us or in the industry for a while, you're like, what the heck are you complaining about? But if you've ever been uh, the one to go to take pictures of a home, here's some of the realities: is that the construction schedule schedule says it's done and it's not done, or the house uh, the keys have been changed and no one told you because the homeowner's closing earlier than expected, or Blue I mean, tape. it's just yeah, you get there and the porta pot. Uh, John company has like just decided to drop off four extra ones for no apparent reason in the front yard. I mean, it's all, it's not as easy as it should be, but yeah, we got to do the things that are most likely to cause a sale to happen or sure. Okay. Um, I don't know what the kids would say to introduce my story time, but I feel like it would be like everyone chill out. No one's, no one's putting Kevin in a corner. No one's throwing shade at me. Um, I have, I've had three people in the past two weeks and they're super nice about it. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not annoyed. I just feel like I actually guess I have to say something where they've sent me emails like, Hey, Kevin, um, I'm going to the builder show and I'm just wondering, are you going to be there? Cause I looked for your session and I didn't see anything. And I was like, Oh, that's low key. Like, 
Hey, what's up? And then one of, one of the three was like, what did you do to upset everyone at the builder show or NHB? Mm -hmm. Like what thing have, you know, I know you love controversy, I think is what they said, but like, maybe you've crossed the line and you're going to have to scale it back. No, not, none, none of that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I mean, I guess I do see that point, but no, uh, there, there is no conspiracy. I did not apply for any sessions. One of the rules, and I think, um, you can like it or not like it, but one of the rules is that you can only have a certain number of people from an organization speak. And one of, I would say, uh, as a humble brag here, one of the unique things about Do You Convert is we just have a team of all-stars who are capable of talking about uh, a lot of topics. And so Mike and I do this intentionally. My original um, kind of sabbatical year from speaking at IBS was supposed to be the year that it went virtual. So that doesn't really count. Um, and so I, you know, in order to allow other people to take the stage and have the opportunity to apply for sessions, we intentionally don't at times. And so it feels weird to even talk about it. We're going to move on to the other half of my story time, but I'm not sad. I'm not disappointed. I wasn't rejected. Yes. Uh, one other, uh, group did add me as a submission for full clarity, but I wasn't really involved. And I was like, heads up, if we get accepted, I might have to cancel anyway, <laughs> because we got to get, so it's all good. I will be there. I will be hanging out. Uh, Mike and I will be talking to to all of you, but it's okay. We're all good. We're still making Jesse content. and I will be there too. So you're stuck yeah. with us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're going to have uh, a big crew there. Yeah. It'll be a great time. And, oh, let's do this official. Okay. Uh, hash, hash, a go, go and other breakfast spots that I will not uh, shame, although I should. I have sent them emails. I have called them. I know you're on a different time zone. I know the rest of the world doesn't like to plan in advance, but to me, you know, we're recording this on February 1st, Jesse's four-year anniversary. And I kind of want to have a place locked down um, and, and to make it work. And for whatever reason, I can't get anyone to follow up. Jesse, can you teach, maybe we can help restaurants uh, oh my next on how to follow up to catering or uh, private dining requests. So I'm um, a shout out to, to Mr. Lyon. He had a great idea. He said, well, why not? Why don't we just use the buffet? So that's what we're going to do. The grand buffet, I believe it's called at the, the win is where we will be hosting our marketing pancake breakfast. But for the first time ever, I think you'll also be able to get prime rib or pizza or whatever else you want from the grand buffet. So I'm pretty Find sure they out. have waffles and pancakes. Uh, but that's what we're going to do. So we'll we'll put a uh, information out on the time. That's going to be the location. I think it'll be more convenient than hash hash. Just a lot of people stay at the win and encore. So that's where we'll be. And as many of you can come because I don't have to worry about having a room that will only hold us. So that's where we're going to be. All right. Uh, actual story time is a, the appointment to sale ratio. Pretty important. How many appointments online or on site your sales team has re re resulting in how many sales? Um, and I should preface this, that despite me loving controversy, this is not meant to make anyone at uh, the Jeff Shore company or Roland or Forrest or any other sales training organization be upset with us. Just be calm and listen to the whole thing. Uh, Olivia, this probably isn't a small clip to use to promote this show, so people won't take it out of context. But an appointment to sell ratio, I think, is incredibly important. Uh, it was spurred by a conversation that I had with a builder we don't work with, who I went to go visit, who was saying that they over-engineer and, and do really great stuff in their homes above and beyond what customers ever expect or need. That's just who they are. And I said, if your customers agree with you, it will show up in your appointment to sale ratio. And they were like, huh, what do you mean? It's like, well, I mean, if the, if the product is just clearly better and has all these included features that other people don't at a, at, at a similar price point, more people who have an appointment with your, with your salespeople will purchase certainly above the average, um, certainly above the minimum of 10% that, that it has to be at least 10%. Um, but 20, 35 wouldn't be, wouldn't be crazy if that's true. And they just ever since then, last couple of weeks, I've really been thinking more about it. And I think here are the three parts to an appointment to sale ratio. And then there's a special fourth one for our online sales appointments, Jesse. But the, the first one is how easy is it to buy from you? 
uh, builder 20 groups or uh, people who have groups, one of the common things that I hear is that the owners or high level managers will say to the other builder who's being analyzed, it's just really complicated to buy a house from you. Like it takes four or five appointments or there's this giant long process. And if I, as a customer want to commit and sign a contract with you, your process keeps telling me I can't until this other thing happens. So it's just, it's, it's complicated and messy to purchase. I think that's the first part. The second part is um, back to what I was saying earlier, how much is your product easy to see the value of like the value mm -hmm. just screams out itself to the consumer, especially on their own during the research phase, ding, ding. which goes into website and content and a whole bunch of other places. Right. But it, how, how easy is it to buy from you? And how, how easy is it to see the value of the product in comparison to, to other options? And then the third one is how well-trained is your sales team and what sales process they follow? Of course, for online sales, the handoff process would be the fourth that I would add on to there. And maybe there's argument there's even a fifth with online sales, but for now, we'll just, let's just stay focused on those three. How easy is it to buy? How easy is it to see the value? And how well-trained is your sales team and what process they follow? Here's the thing that I think people will find controversial that really shouldn't be, is that everyone over-focuses on number three, especially leadership and especially sales management. And yet a lot of times there's people who work with a sales enablement organization or a sales training organization for years or decades. And if you look at their appointment to sale ratio, it's not really that different. And my, my point is that both math, mathematically, there's, there's two thirds of the equation that has nothing to do with how your sales team is trained um, that we mostly ignore. And I think there's lots of reasons why it's ignored. Part of it is that people don't understand the value and how much easier it could be to sell homes if you did those other two things uh, as well as possible. I think a lot of it is uh, leadership not wanting to point anything back at their own directions. Like it's the sales process, it's the sales team. They're just so poorly trained. I mean, I, and again, for those of you maybe from sales training organizations listening, we, we know you do, to prove that I'm on your side here, uh, someone, I was on a leadership call and they said, my sales team just sucks. And then later on, they said their their average margin was 45% of profitability, <laughs> which by the way, pre-pandemic, like small, medium-sized, non-public builder, um, you know, you're, you're trying to get to 10% net and like 20 mid, mid to low twenties is, is doing great. So I'm like, well, that's not like your, yes, your sales team has to overcome how difficult it is to buy and show so much value and overcome so many additional objections and add so much emotional uh, energy to this, that their ratios will be lower no matter what yeah. training program they use. So, and I think we, at times over invest in the training programs at, at all levels of the company, because it doesn't matter how well you train your sales team, how well you train your construction team or your accounting team. If no one's holding them accountable for the training that they received, you're just wasting money at the end of the day. Yeah. Or, you know, I can, I can train you how to fly a plane, but then if I tell you you're, you're not allowed to fly planes and you're only allowed, I mean, it's just, that's where I just think there's structurally these things that are like, well, we did training on customer service. Yeah. But could you, could you like solve the root issue of stop making your customers mad instead of just how to talk to them in a more polite tone? Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. Jesse, any yeah. thoughts to that whole long, well, long thing? I yeah. Just I mean, I think from an online sales perspective, you know, I'm always going to come from that side of things. It's the, the piece that stands out to me is how easy is it to buy from you? And that comes from like a number of avenues. And one of those pieces is their experience with the sales team. Are they communicating with them? Have they prepared for the appointment and all of those things? But there's so many other pieces that lead into that. And when you look at the scale of is what I'm doing is, is it performing? How is my conversion from, let's just say, online appointment to sale versus walk-in? If they're about the same, you can isolate the problem to one area. If one is better than the other, then you know it's not a salesperson problem because it's still the same salespeople taking mm -hmm. those appointments. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just what is going on in the psyche of the customer before they even get in there because people are more ready than they think. Um, 
this is totally a squirrel conversation, but I am, if you guys don't know, an absolute control freak. Like I like to plan everything out. I like to have like all of the things like just ready to go. Like if I was going to buy a home, I would go through the whole process. I would ask all of the questions. Like I would probably be one of those where they're like, okay, she's definitely going to buy from us because she knows all the right questions and all of that. But there are buyers who may not seem like the best fit, you know, higher up in the funnel that are just free people. Like they just are like, oh, I love the way that looks. I like the way marketing put that ad out there. I like the way this is. And they come in and those are the buyers they're not totally focused on. And that's a part of the sales strategy that people are missing too. Cause I, you guys can't see me probably, but I cut all of my hair off, which is totally not like me either. And now yeah, go only, check out the YouTube video. She's essentially bald. I'm folks. got a buzz y'all, <laughs> but I, I took out, I cut off nine inches out of my hair and normally, you know, I'm going, I'm getting my hair at my hairdresser and she canceled and a girl at the gym's like, Hey, you want me to cut your hair at your house? I'm like, sure. And so I use that example to say like, people do things that maybe you don't expect mm -hmm. or anticipate mm -hmm. just because they're different from you. So a long way to say appointment to sale in online sales world, we've been calculating, you know, the goal always 20%, 20%. Um, and it starts with qualification of the lead, but when we're not there, what do we do? Like, how do we get there? And it yeah. starts not only training your sales team, but bringing back what you're hearing from your customers to your marketers so that yeah. they can tweak what's going on. And I think a lot of people's initial reactions to make it easy sounds like, or it appears like the easiest thing to do would just be to give the consumer all the information right up front. And that is again, incorrect. Yeah. Like Total I've said it before, I'll say it many more times. If you just take the giant book of options that you have in your sales center or used to have in your sales center and throw it in a digital format and say, here it is, have at it. That, that is not making it easy. E again, even the word easy does not mean the same things because of what you're saying, Jesse, to, to everyone. Mm -hmm. For some people, the easiest thing, and I, I love this, um, I don't have up in front of me, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it into this conversation. Like someone just, uh, a person that I consume a lot of content from, I think it was Josh Brown. He said, you know, rich people don't talk to robots. And, and his like, I don't know why I have to keep explaining this to you. He works in the finance world. He's like, people who have billions of dollars are not going to interact with a robot ever. They want a human to, and they're going to pay them whatever price is necessary to get instant response to solve the problem, to make it go away. And there's, there's those kind of people. And then there's other people who easy is, I just want to take my time uh, at one in the morning and scroll through detailed specification documents. But that's, that's not everyone. And that's why mm -hmm. the hybrid is going to continue to be the answer of yes, and yes, and, and it's not using technology to try to replace or shut down another option for the consumer but how do we give them more optionality in a way that doesn't cause chaos or extra expense? That's what, that's what I think. Uh, Jesse, you have an announcement to make uh, or a reminder oh. slash announcement about a special, a special holiday coming up. Yeah. National, legitimate national universal national, holiday. Yes. National OSC day, February the 9th coming up quick. Uh, just want to make sure it's on everybody's calendar. It's kind of new still. Um, but just a day to really celebrate all of the hard work, kind of the behind the scenes work, if we're honest, of what's going on with people and how they work for your company and just the impact that they're making. So just find a way to celebrate them, to highlight them, to acknowledge their successes and all that they do. So February 9th is the day um, and make it a big deal. And uh, the first couple of years, it was like a prize to figure out why is it February 9th? But do you convert started in 2009? So we took the two and the nine and we made it February 9th. Going back to conspiracy theories and controversy, the first year we did this, the Builder Show happened to occur over the course of February 9th on one of the days. And people thought we were trying to take over the Builder Show um, with our made up holiday. I was like, yeah. what? what are you talking about? All we, I think all we did was pass out stickers. And there yeah. was controversy of like, can you believe these people? No, it's, it's just uh, the year that... Do you convert started? Yeah. That's it. But celebrate your OSC. Yeah, we love y'all. In your program. They deserve it. They do deserve it. All right, on to the news. First up, let's do some, some lighthearted uh, conversation around campaigns and elections. 
um, from campaignsandelections.com. Hot takes, digital advertising edition. What's overrated for 2024? When I found this article, I was like, this isn't going to be good. I mean, how insightful can political advertising articles be? Really? Like, aren't, isn't that like the lowest common denominator? And then I was like, wow, these people are actually on the money. And probably because they actually, like, I like to think I care about people living in homes and having the right home for their needs. But apparently political people, even political marketers and advertisers are like dead set on getting the outcome they want to happen. So maybe I should have been surprised. But here we go. This this is super interesting to me. Um, they, they list out five different things here. We're just going to look at two in particular, but they're, well, three. Okay, there's three awesome ones. The first one is the micro-targeting bubble. Uh, I'm just going to read this straight from the article. It says, the 2004 cycle put micro-targeting on the map. Its allure and dominance hasn't really diminished, unlike the appeal of skinny jeans. The promise of hyper-efficient, personalized message and precise reach, like tailoring ads to left-handed, tech-savvy, 32-year-olds, vegetarians in Tribeca, sounds powerful, right? Uh, but dig deeper, and micro-targeting shows cracks, especially as third-party cookies disappear. Over-reliance, especially without utilizing multiple overlapping tactics, risks inundating voters with the same message until it loses impact. Uh, and, and the way we talk about this is that that really ended about now, probably four or five years ago, where now you're better off giving AI, which again, everyone here uses AI. Every builder who uses Google or Meta for advertising already uses artificial intelligence as it's known today, but that's a different rant. Um, you're better off not micro-targeting, mm -hmm. which doesn't sound as sexy. What do you mean? I'm going back to, to targeting a larger swath of people. But micro-targeting is not as cost-efficient nor as targeted uh, and doesn't develop any higher quality um, lead sources. In fact, when we start with a new builder and we start with this foundational, very broad ad, the online sales teams always come back after the first couple of weeks and say, you know what, the quality of our leads, like they're asking questions, they mm -hmm. seem more educated on our product. The quality of lead is better, but it's actually not micro-targeted. Yeah, we are running through this right now with a newer builder um, and looking at their ads that they were previously running and they attempted to go more broad and not so micro-targeted, but it was still more targeted than we would suggest in terms of optimization. And their average cost per click is astonishing in comparison. Um, and it's just not, it's not effective. It's not effective for them. And they're, I was explaining to Jesse earlier, when you get so granular, when you try to just create this little fence of the people you're trying to collect, what you end up doing, kind of like we were talking about earlier, is forgetting about all the people outside that bubble that exist and are interested and want to get in that bubble. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to go back to the first one because it's a little bit wonky in the language, so I'll, I'll, I'll have to transcribe it. Um, but it says the OEM and publisher exclusively ex exclusivity illusion. And what they mean here is um, medium and small size publishers who say, I have a hyper-targeted audience that no one else has access to, or I have some proprietary um, data on them, et cetera. I'm going to skip down to the to the go read the article, folks. This one you're truly you're probably going to get retargeted for all kinds of political stuff, but it it might be worth it. It says, um, remember the bigger. Oh wait, um, and it's not just about exclusive or non-exclusive exclusivity. The data gets passed around like your grandma's secret sourdough bread recipe in those behind the scenes deals, meaning, like, and we say this all the time. Again, Google and Meta have access to all of the data that, that's happening on these so-called um, you know, siloed platforms. And so the audience that they have, Google and Meta also have. All platforms have them. All this data gets passed around. And ultimately, it's not worth uh, the premium that these folks are often trying to, or, or the, the level of insights that they claim to have is not often there. Um, okay, one more, because I, I can't agree with this one enough. Uh, the programmatic guarantee uh, promise. Um, imagine a perfect political advertising world, uncomplicated plans, easy clients, and massive budgets. Add to this paradise digital platforms with promises of targeted reach against guaranteed impressions on premium and inventory, a programmatic guarantee. 
jackpot, especially for all of my Montana folks, right? No. While programmatic guarantees offer efficiency and scale, guaranteed impressions often come at a steep price with limited flexibility. Campaigns may find themselves paying inflated rates, a thousand percent we see this every day for people who try this, for low quality inventory or impressions they don't want or need. That's the part I really want to just hype up here is programmatic is this idea of we're going to follow just the right people no matter where they go across all different platforms. Like we have exclusive connections and partners and data, blah, blah, blah. You do get a small amount of really high quality um, impressions and reach with that, but you pay a premium when 90% or some large percentage of what's actually like when you get your report and it says, this is what happened, a whole bunch of that ends up being really low quality inventory or low quality impressions, kind of like they do with radio. I don't know um, mm. if if everyone listening has this experience, but radio, it's like you want that morning drive time time slot, right? And they're like, we're going to give you two of those over the next three weeks. And then they give you, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and, and so your total number of, of ads that are going to run when you show it to your boss to get their approval, they're like, oh, sounds good. That's a hundred ads. That's a lot of ads in a month, but a bunch of them are in, play, are in, are in really low value locations. Okay, Kevin, before we move on for the people mm -hmm. in the back and for the marketers that are getting the emails and the cold calls and all that jazz of people flashing shiny new solutions at them, how do they cut through the noise when it comes to these things? I always say, make them explain it to you as if they're talking to a five-year-old. And if they say they can't, that's a problem and a warning sign. If they say they won't, run. Um, if they're like, well, no, no, it's secret. It's our secret sauce. Then there is no, like, if what you're doing is like, I mean, again, we put out how many blog posts and videos and podcasts and we have academies where you don't have to pay us what you would pay us every month and we'll teach you everything we teach those people. The reason we do that is because at the end of the day, it's hard. It's, mm -hmm. it, it is, it just is a lot of work. And so we don't have black boxes. We don't have secrets that we won't tell you, but there's still value there. That yeah. makes sense. Like, Obviously, the nearly 100 companies that we work with find value in what we what we do and how we help them. So someone who's like, well, no, I can't like, or or they just use words that, again, they can't break down into very simplistic. Um, and and I promised I wasn't going to go here, but Beth is tempting me. So I'm going to go here for 10 seconds. Dangling the carrot. Generative AI, if you hear that phrase, or large language models are not thinking that they, they have no brain. Um, if, if you, all you're doing when you give it a prompt is it's analyzing all those words that are connected together. And it doesn't even know what individually those words mean. It just knows the word is connected in proximity to another word. And if enough of those words match, then it has some idea of where it can go in its vast repository of, of data that it's used and look for those words but it's not thinking. It is unaware of what it is even doing. It's nowhere close to general artificial intelligence or what I would say is intelligence period. And even some of the companies that I actually think are fantastic, I'm not going to say who they are because I really, they have amazing products, but when companies struggle with product adoption, you know what the first thing it is they're pulling out or adding to their, their language is AI or generative AI. And so this company that I, I mean, again, I like them, but they just said, we use generative AI and nothing's changed with the product that has been around for three years now. I'm like, son of a gun. What, why are you doing this? Like it's, it's their version of, I, I need awareness. I need more interactions. I need more sales calls. I don't know, but you should be more cautious when you hear um, those words that excite you than excited because they're using them for a reason. Yeah. It's a, it's someone replaying of like redoing a viral TikTok video for likes and views because mm -hmm. they don't know how to actually come up with something themselves. Yeah. Or I just, yeah, we, we had a builder who their sales plan for January is 15. They sold 35. And so I went on uh, formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. And I just said, Hey, we just talked to a builder who sold 35 homes, some 
many over a million dollars on a sales plan of 15 and they didn't use a single Taylor Swift meme to do it. And like, that's, it's, it catches attention for sure. It's not creative. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, anyway. All right. Uh, next one will not be as long, but I think it's, it's again, it's, it's fascinating to me that people are talking about it. This is from digiday.com in a rocky digital advertising landscape. Advertisers reconsider direct mail. <laughs> it's back. Um, now social media advertising is just the, the, in terms of a targeting standpoint, it's the, it's the iteration of direct mail, direct mail for decades has had giant lists that you could say, I want these kind of people. These are my customers and I want to send them a piece of mail. Um, but from the article, it just says currently the industry in air quotes is facing rising digital ad costs along with more data privacy regulation, forcing marketers and advertisers to reconsider their strategies. Agency execs say they are suggesting diversification even beyond digital into traditional channels like direct mail to all their clients. Initial reactions, thoughts, should, should everyone throw stuff in the, in the mailbox again? What do you think? No, I trash all of my promotional Ooh. materials for my mailbox. I don't even you look thought at about them. that for 0.2 seconds. Yeah, no, because it's like, it's my kids go get the mail. We look through it. And if I know it's promotional, I rip it up and I throw it in the trash or recycling. And, um, but what came to mind was actually inspired by this lady in pink right here, Miss Jessie. If you look, if you Ooh. listen back to a few, uh, oh, maybe like 20 episodes ago, when we were talking about the power of the handwritten note, I said, there's an idea here. We're just utilizing it in the wrong capacity. So like, instead of sending direct mail to a bunch of people that are just going to toss it away because direct mail is expensive. Like it's, it's not yeah. cheap and it might not even get there, but <laughs> Instead, write a handwritten note to the people that have expressed interest, that have come out. Like, take that next personal step and approach them in a different way that, we, that we've never approached before or we haven't done since, I don't know, the last time I think I sent direct mail was back when I was working in North Carolina. And we used to send brochures out to new leads for our master plan community. And I don't want to put a timestamp on that because it's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of have, and I'm like an old lady at heart. I think you guys know that. So I think of the other side of it where, yeah, if you flood their actual physical inbox, like if everybody starts doing it, it's just like an inbox of all these spam ads coming from, you mm -hmm. know, clothing companies, you delete mm -hmm. them anyways. So if you get to that point, yeah, it's going to serve no purpose. But now in an age where all of these companies are going to digital delivery of your bills of anything that you're getting, you don't like, I don't go to my mailbox every day. Anymore. There are days I, I definitely had that thought. There are days where I go to my mailbox and there's either one thing or nothing in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, your, your visibility is much greater there than in potentially an inbox, but it has to be the right material. Like it has yes. to be something like a handwritten note or something that's collateral that you talked about during a visit. I don't know that it's a good way to capture or an invitation to an event about nothing in yep. an invitation mm. envelope, not a postcard, you know, right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, there are still use cases where I would do direct mail, but they're very small. And the amount of creativity and thought that needs to be put into it is way higher than, um, my experiences that people want to put into it. Like to, yeah. to your point, Beth, it's not just about getting in the mailbox and you've somehow won. That's mm -hmm. not it. And I do also love, um, because in the digital world, it's hard to sometimes cut through all the BS that everyone's talking to you about or trying to use vanity, vanity metrics on it. But I, and I, I don't remember the, the actual language here. So forgive me, I'm probably wrong, but there's bulk mail and then there was first class mail and there's something in between. Mm -hmm. And we used to use a mail provider in 2005, 2004 that would use the something in between. And that meant that you didn't get uh, like a bunch of stuff returned to you and they would try to deliver it or it would get delivered regardless, whatever. But then bulk mail became so much cheaper at some point, we switched to that instead. Delivery date, the, I know no one's even asking for this. The delivery window on bulk mail, I believe is two weeks. So never use bulk mail for an event, just for those of you who might one day do that. Because the the person actually who takes the mail to your home, the last mile, 
gets to decide when to include that bulk mail and not based upon their overall load of deliveries. Mm. So that might just sit there for two weeks. So never use it for anything, you know, date specific, but we did that. And then all of a sudden we started getting tons of mail returned to us due to the poor quality of the list that we were purchasing at the time. Mm. But you'd never know that if you were yeah. not using that bulk mail, but you know, it was easy to cut through the clutter then in that case of the salesperson being like, our lists are triple checked and there's no waste and blah. And then you'd get, you know, 400 postcards sent back to your office over the course of two weeks. And you're like, another thing that comes to mind is, you know, obviously realtors still use a lot of direct mail and they send their little postcards and their flyers and look at all the homes I've sold. That's almost, and all this uh, stuff. Yeah. We'll finish your thought. Well, there's one we got recently an agent sent one in that was like, we sell happy acres referring to our community. And it had like four homes. And it was obviously like, if you're going to sell our home, we're the ones that can sell this community. Well, the fine print said buyer representation on all of them. Mm -hmm. So they didn't sell a single home in the community. They brought buyers to the community. Yeah. As the buyer's agent, not the selling agent. And I was just mm -hmm. like, you no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think, um, that's again, an example of that's a really expensive way to tell that message in particular. Yeah. Like I, I and then we're going to move on because it's direct mail for goodness sakes. But if you're trying to get people to do something, okay? it, if, you're, if you're trying to get people to do something that's hard, like get in their car and show up somewhere for an event, mm -hmm. then an invitation to a highly curated list that mirrors the targeting that you're doing digitally to say, Hey, you should come to this community grand opening model home, grand opening, et cetera. Can't, can't, can be a good idea, but it's because it's almost a recognition of what I'm trying to do here is so hard. And if mm -hmm. you're just trying to get people interested in the homes that you, that you sell, it shouldn't require direct mail. Oh, that's a hot take. All right. Um, some good news. Uh, we talked about this for 60 days or so in November and December with all of our builders. Um, this concept from, I think her name's Kayla uh, of the Vibe Session. Vibe Session is the depression of the vibes. Vibes are off. People are sad, um, feeling negative about their, their life and the economy. Well, it's officially over, uh, according to um, this article from Bloomberg. Uh, U.S. consumer confidence climbs to the highest level it's been since the end of 2020. Now that's an interesting time frame. Don't want to go back there. Uh, wouldn't trade the, I mean, that was just a weird, weird time, but economically speaking, ever the vibes were great. were really good. And the good news here is that people are feeling good about, um, the economy, the job market and inflation generally, which should be translating into feeling more confident about um, pulling the trigger on purchasing a home. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're hearing that in online sales world, just from a volume perspective, the confidence is increasing the form fills and the leads coming in. And not only are the leads coming in at a higher volume, but they're coming in at a higher quality, less, you know, ignores straight to voicemail, you know, opt out and more engagement and less tire kicking questions. Uh, so we're definitely hearing it over here. Yeah, and when we first put together our data from the day after Christmas into what was it like the first week of January yeah. and we saw uh -huh. a 10% increase year over year. And whenever I, I talked to my builder partners about that, I was like, think of the mental state our consumers are in right now and the messages that they're getting pushed now in comparison to last year. Last mm -hmm. year was all fear mongering. It was just like, yeah. we're definitely oh getting gosh. a recession, like a real yeah. one, get it's ready, awful. buckle up. Don't buy. And now like the numbers are, not too terribly off, but people are seeing more hope. They've gotten used to the change. They're seeing their friends and family buy at high rates and it's making it work. So I think it's just like this mindset has completely flipped itself on the head in comparison to last year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm only referencing it again because it just happened today. So it's fresh in my mind, but I could go back to lots of conversations similar to this, but the, the, the building company that sold 35 homes on a plan of 15 she said, in looking at the CRM, which bonus points for, for that person, um, that a lot of these people originally became leads in June and July of 2023. And then 
So there, there's a couple different scenarios here that I think are important to, to, to consider and be aware of, of what's actually happening in your company. Mm-hmm. Because it's true that you might have a surge of people who have been hanging around the hoop in basketball speak, and they're just finally deciding to move forward. That always happens at the beginning of a new year. And they require a different kind of messaging and, and sales process, et cetera. But then you also, at the beginning of every year, have another cohort of people, which is the, I've just started thinking about this, just started doing this. Those people require something completely different because they don't care what interest rates were. They may not even be aware of what they Mm -hmm. were a year ago because they weren't even thinking about it. So as much as we're like, oh my gosh, another headline and all this stuff. I mean, again, I, I, I could pick a topic. Let's, um, dog breeding, right? I'm sure dog breeding articles and news happens on a weekly basis and Jen Barkin would know all about it. Mm-hmm. I have no clue about any of it. So if I just decided to get in the market to get some miniature schnauzer, whatever from a specific, I'd be like, I'm, I'm fresh, I'm brand new. So don't bring your negative crap from 2023 mm-hmm. into those people. And that's why it's important for your sales team, your online sales team to know who are the people who are coming in the door. Are they, are they coming back and they have that hope that you were talking about? Or are they just here and you can treat them as, as fresh, clean um, minds when it comes to all this? Yeah. All right. Almost done. Uh, two quick ones. Redfin.com. 32% of homes for sale in the fourth quarter were newly built, just shy of the record high. So the one clarification here that gets people sideways is it's not that 32% of the homes sold are new construction. It's 32% of the homes that are offered for sale. Our new construction, um, which is uh, just shy of the record high, but still, still right up there. I mean, back in 2000 and looks like 11, maybe 2012, we were around six percent. So that's a that's a wild swing, and and positive, uh, generally speaking. As long as the used home market doesn't come roaring back and everyone decides to list their house at the same time, that'll be terrible. But for right now, all good. Okay. So some, someone else, uh, I, I missed a call last week cause I was sick and the VP of sales and marketing got on and they were high as a kite about their sales results in January. But it was funny. They said, but Kevin's, Kevin's probably thinking it's going to change soon. Right? Like I, 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 apparently I am overly, um, pessimistic or have been, uh, to some degree. And, and maybe that's true, but I don't, I don't think, um, I think until I think we're more likely to have a normal selling curve to this year than any of the last four. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily be pessimistic. I think your goal is to prepare people and not just focus on what's happening now, but also like, hey, just remember, our market is still, it likes to like ride a wave, you know, and this happens every single year. Yep. All right, and the last one from uh, Zillow. Experience the future of home tours with Zillow's immersive app on Apple Vision Pro. Um, I have questions and I can't answer those questions without having an Apple Vision Pro, but I am going to go back and blow the dust off of my Meta Quest Pro, um, which looks very, very similar, and see if they offer a similar experience. Because my big question around this, basically it's, it's, it's called the Zillow Immerse app. And it lets you tour homes, 3D tours, interactive floor plans, um, you know, in VR, AR mm-hmm. uh, scenarios. But even in the in the image on their press release, I'm just going to show this here for a second. And again, Zillow people, I love you. You're all amazing. Mm-hmm. But see that right there? Yeah. There's this like ghosting effect from how this tour um, was created. And so I just have a concern given... What Apple's pushing on the Vision Pro is, you know, better resolution, uh, lower latency, more like just a better, like, quote unquote, real experience is possible. Um, how the content has been captured historically for this stuff. And so it hasn't necessarily been with the idea of you physically being in that place on a, on a Vision Pro headset. So I do think there's going to be this time period where like, I, I wonder if they're going back and using AI to upscale the resolution of some of these images or mm-hmm. clean up some of that, or it'll just be, hey, moving forward, 
we know this is going to be a use case. And so we're going to try to get, you know, high resolution, higher fidelity images captured for the tours. Yeah, I think that's the thing to keep in mind whenever fun new tools like this are put out there is that new technology always has another technology that needs to catch up to it to make that mm -hmm. new technology work great at its point. best and highest performance rate. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I mean, people asked I'll, when I first got my DSLR, um, I sold my original camera to buy my wedding ring for my wife or my engagement ring, whatever it is when you ask them to marry you. Um, so I was a photography major at school, so I had to sell my film camera and I, and all my equipment. And then I didn't get it back until I think it was the same year as the iPhone came out mm -hmm. and I'm carrying around this like giant camera when people are starting to transition to just taking stuff on their phones. And everyone's like, why are you bothering? It's like, cause this is the memories of my children and my family and whatever I need to do to get the highest possible resolution now, because, um, a friend of ours played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, when he was, he was in the Super Bowl when they beat the Seahawks in 07, I think. Casual. And his, his, um, his, his son who is, um, in college had never seen the game of his dad playing in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And so another friend pulled it up on YouTube and said, Hey, let's watch it. Let's watch your dad in the Super Bowl. It's 2007. And he was like, it was so painful. Because it was like, how do we watch football back then? It's almost even worse than when it was in black and white in some sense. He's just like, it was unwatchable. Like you couldn't tell people's emotions or expressions really. You, you yeah. just realized what you didn't have. I just thought that was like 07, not, not that long ago. Yeah. So good job, Zillow. I mean, Zillow has a history, by the way. I do, for having said what I did that could be perceived one way or the other, they have a history of always being progressive on the next platform. And I think that'll continue forever because they got a lot out of being the first, um, the first one of the portals on iPad in particular back in the day. Um, so good job keeping up with that. Cause a lot of people are choosing not by the way to, to not make Apple vision pro specific versions of their apps. And Apple has said, Hey, if you don't want to make a custom app yet, we get it cause it's new. We'll just use your iPad version of your app and, and YouTube, Netflix, um, and someone else has been said, Nope, we're not, we, we want, we want nothing to do with the Apple vision pro yet, which I think is really interesting. Hmm. I don't want anything to do with it yet. It's too advanced for you, me. You can, you can watch, you can watch a YouTube <laughs> yeah. video on Apple vision pro. You just have to do it in Safari's browser, but they're like, we're not, we're not going to dedicate any resources to making anything specific for this yet. Kevin's just right, sitting favorites. there watching Mr. Beast on his Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> Mr. Beast just built uh, 10 homes for people in Guatemala, I think, on one of his videos. It was pretty sweet, by the way. Shout That's out cool. to... Shout out James? to Mr. Beast. He, what's, what's his name? What's his real name? I have no idea. I, I didn't know who he was until name? you told me about him. Okay. What? Well, My bad. Um, Jesse, do you got a thing you love or a thing you hate oh, for this episode well, that I've poorly titled? This is totally... Or the episode has nothing to do with anything, but it's Girl Scout. That's what we love. Season. That's what it's for. I am so here for the Thin Mints. And if you don't put them in the freezer, yes. you're a freak. Like totally. Yes. So Thin Mints are my favorite thing right now. I don't need them, but I eat them. <laughs> and also um, just taking it back to online sales because you know how I do. Um, the $5 fix that's going to make a life-changing uh, difference for your customers and for yourself is get a freaking cover for your keypad. If you are going to type while you're on the phone with the customer, don't let them hear the clicking and the clacking. Cover it mm. with some silicone cover. Write your notes. You, you, that's you are an old soul, Jesse. I'm I'm telling you. I think because that will do the trick. Ready. It'll 100 do the trick, and it's probably the most economical way to do it. But you can also just make sure that the keyboard you order doesn't click. But it's not usually. It doesn't feel as good when you when unless you, you have fingernails. Oh, dang. And then it's because yeah, I listen to calls all day. And when I hear click, click, click on the phone, I'm like, no, come on, man. That was a great conversation for $5. You could fix that whole thing. So that's my other favorite thing right now. Everyone's different, Jesse. I know, man. That's the, that's the Sesame Street phrase of the phrase of the week. I like it. So yeah, silicon cover for your nails. The clicking. I thought you meant the actual keyboard clicking. I mean, my well, mind's so Unless like you have that old keyboard, you know. 
I, it's reason number 72 why I hate fake nails or like. They're just long. My 14-year-old, my 17-year-old, and my wife, none of them used fake nails until like the pandemic. And now it's just, we have all this stuff around nails. It was fine before you all had fake nails. Oh. They're not fake. They're just painted. They're just long. What? Yeah, that's her that's real good. nails. Yeah. I love it. She worked Squirrel. hard for them. Squirrel. I mean, the number of things that have been accidentally super glued around my house because my girls keep super gluing their nails back onto their fingers <laughs> after they fall off. It's just make it wild. Stop. All right, Beth, what do you got? Um, my husband and I are reading this book at the same time. He is ahead of me. That's a good book. Naturally. Um, what's funny, a funny story about this is that his boss told him about it and he emailed me and was like, can you please order this book immediately? And so I, I did before I forgot, but I sat on it for a while and I was like, I think I, I think I recognize that book. I can't really pinpoint how I do, but like, I recognize it. The thought passes. It arrives in the mail a couple days later and I pull it out of the box and I hold it in my hands and I'm like, oh, I have this book. Like, I know I have this book. <laughs> and so I go over to my shelf and lo and behold, it's sitting there on the shelf. And I had this like memory that I put, pulled it off a table at a conference somewhere. I don't know if it was Zillow or mm -hmm. I or something, but it was on a table at a conference. Could have been Summit, but I don't, I don't think it was. Um, and yeah, so now I'm finally reading it. I didn't read it. Back then. So what is so, it? It's switch how to change things when change is hard. And ironically enough, I'm reading it simultaneously with the same as ever book, which might be somewhat mad, but I don't care. It's working for me. I've had a lot of people mention they're reading that book, which makes me happy. Um, it's good. Hey, Beth, send it to me. Minus in the, the skiing story. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do an audible here. Um, since... I love when he runs away. I know. It's so funny. It's an oldie, but a goodie. You know, every, like everyone's a branding person these days. Um, just like Which everyone's a photographer. Um, it's, it's the 22 immutable laws of branding. I don't have that one. Highly recommend this book. It's, uh, it's, um, by Al Rise and um, the latest versions have some additions by his daughter, Laura, I believe. I think it's his daughter. Um, it's fantastic. Um, it's really, really simple, easy to read through. Um, take you about, I don't know, maybe an hour to to like get the concepts down. It would take you a lot longer than, than an hour to read the book, but um, it's fantastic. It, it, the core principles are sound, obviously. And it's, it's one of the most widely read books, but a lot of people haven't um, been made aware of it. So that's my favorite since we're on the, on the book theme, but also noted. Um, I think, I don't think I talked about this before the, the Miu mini plus I'll try to get a link for you, Olivia. Um, it's like this video game thing that lets you play like 5,000 different old Nintendo, Sega, Atari, is it the thing that you every, bought your kid for Christmas? Yeah, every Game Boy known to man, um, kind, PlayStation, Dreamcast, all on this little Game Boy-like device. And yep. um, my kids are, they're freaking addicted to it. And it's so funny because they're like, they're playing um, NFL, no, Super Tecmo Bowl. Um, Sweet. They're I just, they're loving life. But does it have Donkey Kong? Yeah, it has everything. Okay. Yeah. It has arcade games. Like uh, every, every one of those like sit down arcade game things that you see in people's homes has all those games on it. Dig Dug, all the, like everything. And it's all preloaded. Like you don't have to, do, you just plug it in, charge it and yeah. it's ready to go. I want one. So that's not my I know. that one or the analog one. one that my brother has, but I don't know. That one is for like super geeks. Don't, don't worry about that. It's, it's, it's yeah. My brother is the super, super geek. That for those of you who care, the response time on that is the lowest between the time you push the button. It's like two milliseconds versus five milliseconds. We're talking milliseconds here, folks. I'm not like, I'm not going to be on the next version of the wizard where you get the warp whistle from Super Mario 3. All right. That'll do it for this week. Uh, we're getting close to the builder show. We're getting close to 
<clears throat> National OSC Day. We're getting close to Online Sales Academy coming in April. Yeah. Market Proof Marketing Academy also in April. Um, both of those are getting slots filled up. So there's a lot to do here in the spring market, but enjoy the ride of all of this interest, all of this urgency built into the market right now. Enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof.